0: This podcast is for informational purposes only. Information relating to investment approaches or individual investments should not be construed as advice or endorsements. Any view expressed in this podcast are based upon the information available at the time and are subject to change. Um, hello, Saxham, Edward, and Jacob. Uh, glad to have you all here today for our podcast.
1: Hi, thanks for having us.
0: Great. So uh, before I get started, uh, let's have a quick introduction of uh, who you guys are. So Saksham and then Edward and Jacob, uh, you can go ahead and introduce yourself.
2: Sure. Um, Saksham, I've been with Talkbike for a few months now. you had me on the podcast before, so you know about me, um, Jacob. I...
1: Uh- Yeah. Hi, I'm Jacob. I work in corporate finance development, my day job. I've been involved with Darkbyte a little bit over a month now, and uh, it's been great. been learning a lot.
3: Hey, everyone. Uh, My name is Edward, and I'm an analyst with Darkbyte for about two months now. Uh, And my background is in, I'm a Canadian CPA. Uh, I also have a lot of experience in equities and cryptocurrency investing.
0: Great, thank you for sharing your background. I'm glad to have you all here to talk about the current macroeconomic trends as well as cryptocurrency. I think for the past uh, few weeks to months, it has been quite crazy in the finance world uh, in different sense. We have um, inflation coming closer and closer and is more and more evident um, today. And even just everyone who goes on the street or drives a car you can see that oil prices has gone through the roof as well so uh, let's discuss a bit more about like what your opinion on inflation as now people um, see cryptocurrency as the new hedge for inflation
1: I I guess I'll start uh, one interesting thing that just actually came out today was a new poll from Nanos Research, just sort of a poll on Canadians about whether or not they're comfortable uh, allowing the Bank of Canada to set the target in, uh, inflation rate higher than 2%. I mean, basically, all year the uh, rate of inflation has been higher, and we know there's certain problems with CPI as a metric for looking at the price level, but the vast majority of people are uncomfortable with the idea of increased levels of inflation. And we can definitely understand why. I mean, wages haven't kept pace and there's still all sorts of issues with the supply chain and with uh, labor shortages that have people a little bit worried. The IMF is reevaluating their growth prospects for the globe for the upcoming year. And uh, yeah, what you said about Bitcoin being the new inflation head is interesting. There was a big piece uh, from JP Morgan actually, uh, on how the majority of their clients or a growing portion of them are looking at Bitcoin as opposed to gold being the new inflation hedge, which is super interesting. And there's a lot of really high profile investors uh, that are getting more exposure. And we can talk about that a little bit later.
3: Yeah. Uh, inflation certainly has been uh, a topic of a concern among Cryptocurrency investors, um, you know, most broadly, the broadly speaking, uh, the original group of Bitcoin supporters and investors came out of this idea because, um, you know, the central banks after the financial crisis of two thousand eight, um, this group of people uh, who was supporting the idea of Bitcoin believed that a central bank have had too much uh, power in governing the monetary policies. And they are really not doing the financial system and all the participants a favor, right? Um, a key issue here is dollar displacement. Uh, essentially, it's you know it's it's your dollar being diminished uh, while it is sitting there in your bank account. And this is actually quite a scary thought, you know. If um, if you know if you were to tell anyone about it, um, normally you know people wouldn't take notice, but. If you put it in a, a nominal term and explain to them what it is, it's actually quite concerning. Uh, you know, if say two or two or three percent, even two or three percent at this inflation rate, it's your money uh, gradually being disappeared over time, and that is also at a compounding rate as well, right? So it's two per two or three percent every year, and that is before, you know, we had this unlimited wave of QE from central bank from worldwide. And we see it in many uh, different uh, figures. You know, uh, oil is up 80%, corn is up 69%, steel is up over 100%, um, and the official inflation figure by the U.S. government, it's around 5%. Um, obviously, uh, there's a mismatch here between what the economy is showing as, as raw data inputs and what the government is closing as the raw inflation figures that which they calculated. So inflation is definitely a concern, I think for, um, not just for investors, but more and more so nowadays for everyday people as well. Um, If you think about it, um, uh, like Jacob mentioned, uh, with inflation, um, asset prices are rising, cost of living are rising. By the same time, the real wages, the real wage rate has been diminished. Uh, because wages have not r- risen in part with the cause of living, with the asset prices. Because money goes into these asset first um, and not going uh, to increasing the real wages at the moment. So um, I think this is a, a, a certainly a concern for a lot of people at this point.
0: Yeah, I agree. That's very interesting. But that's the inflation of USD. We also have um, the concept of inflation for cryptocurrencies. So usually, currencies like decrease value over time due to the cost of goods rising. So, what do you think about like you know, cryptos also have inflation instilled in them as well? That's
1: interesting that you say that. I can speak about Bitcoin a little bit. Uh, everybody sort of knows who's into Bitcoin that there's a capped number of units available at 21 million. So inflation, in the purest sense of the word, isn't really possible. I mean, the supply is increasing. Uh, there are still um, uh, blocks being introduced into the supply every uh, every now and then, but uh, you know, it, the total amount of supply is capped, so it isn't really the same. I mean, we've seen like. It's been, I don't have the exact figure, but since 2000, since the beginning of QE, I mean, just the amount of money, uh, traditional fiat that's out there is exceeded anybody's possible expectation when Bitcoin has the limit built in already.
3: I I completely agree with what uh, Jacob is saying. Um, you know, with certain cryptocurrency, you certainly want to be aware of that. And that, you know, that is a part of our due diligence when we look at a token or a crypto, uh, we look at the tokenomics of the specific project and how the tokens are allocated among the uh, ventures, uh, the venture partners who are funding the projects, among the core uh, development team, among all the token holders, and how incentives are built in in the process of, Uh, distributing the tokens and inflation is a part of that equation in determining the tokenomics of a project. Uh, With Bitcoin specifically, it's very transparent. I think that's the key difference between um, Bitcoin, uh, the inflation that happens with Bitcoin and with the fiat currencies managed by the central banks. One is 100% uh, transparent for everybody to see. It's programmed in the in Bitcoin itself, it's a programmable inflation. Uh, the other, uh, managed by central banks, it's not very apparent. And it's governed by uh, you know, uh, centralized parties. Uh, and it's not uh, transparent for everyone to see. Even you know, uh, what we're saying about this uh, difference in inflation figures, uh, is it 2%, is it 5%, is it 10%? Nobody knows for sure, right? There's different ways you can calculate that. But with bitcoin it's a very transparent you know the inflation is going to be every year Um, and for the tokens that do not have uh, a cap supply such as ethereum um nowadays the inflation calculation it's also got more apparent uh we can calculate it based on the token burning mechanism based on the number of issuance uh on the uh on, on the on the blockchain every year uh so It's still a a more transparent process than, uh, you know, fiat currency inflation distributions.
0: Yeah, those are very good points. I completely agree with that. I think like inflation is very important for crypto and Bitcoin is actually designed to resist inflation with its supply being limited and the creation of new Bitcoin will also taper off over time in a predictable way, as you know, we will only have 21 million Bitcoins and every four years, the amount being mined <clears throat> is reduced by half. Um, and a high inflation rate for, high f- for fiat currencies might lead to individuals investing more in digital money because dollars or euros, they're placed in a savings account that are actually losing value over time and bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies like ethereum offer investors the alternative and i think that's why um, at this point right now we recently saw a run-up for bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies again with its high bitcoin dominance so and the good thing is that it's not it cannot be manipulated by the government uh, with adjusting rates and printing more money and Although it's compared to gold, I don't think that it's ever gonna reach, I mean, the market cap of gold right now is uh, 10 times the, what, what um, Bitcoin is right now. And so that's quite far-fetched that it's, it might ever reach to that level, but we never know. Um, and the scarcity amount of Bitcoin allow them to continue to stay pretty competitive in this environment. So you as as Gen Z of this generation, would you guys uh, buy Bitcoin or gold to hedge against inflation?
1: I think that any portfolio needs to be diversified. Uh, Personally, I have exposure to both. And I think that everybody should sort of look at risk reward and what exactly they want out of their portfolio. But if you're looking at a pure hedge against inflation, I definitely think a multifaceted approach is the one to uh, have.
2: And yeah. um, just to add to that, actually, when I look at either of these two asset classes as a hedge for inflation, uh, given by you know what's happened historically, I've invested in neither of those because neither of those have any evidence that they are actually a good enough inflation hedge, even though gold is to some extent, but that depends on the type of inflation. So Bitcoin, honestly, is a sort of a very high beta asset, if you look at it. And, you know, it's more of a risk-on asset. So if any, uh, if broad public markets, uh, you know, equity markets go down, you know, in in an inflation event, I would expect Bitcoin to go down as well, thereby, you know, producing its utility or completely destroying its utility as a hedge against inflation. So... In that kind of event, I would not use it. Similarly, gold, you know, for the past one year we have seen, you know, inflation running high, you know, 4 or 5% in the U.S. And gold really hasn't responded that well over the past one year. You know, it's, it's probably down for the year, down 1% or 2% for the year. So on that end, you know, that even that does not make too much sense as a hedge for inflation. And honestly, when you're looking to hedge inflation, you have to think about what kind of inflation it is. So there's two kinds of inflation. One is, you know, your long-term inflation, you know, which will always be there in any sort of a fiat system. And honestly, a little bit of moderate amount of inflation is actually healthy for an economy. So, you know, that would be there. And any deviation from that in the long term is one kind of inflation. And the other is sort of this unexpected inflationary shock. That's the sort of inflation that we are seeing right now. And some of it was expected because, you know, you know, the problems with the supply chains and whatnot, you know, in, uh, reducing the supply of goods and, you know, driving the prices up. But uh, if we are to see inflation now, given the condition of the supply chains today and the sort of the ever-increasing demand from growing economies across the world, the, the kind of inflation we are probably going to see would be sort of an inflationary shock, which would be, you know, say inflation all of a sudden, you know, shows up some, somewhere around 7 or 8%, which is completely unprecedented, but could happen because of, you know, uh, the way things are today, right? So the best kind of hedge against that kind of inflation has historically been, you know, commodities. And if you have to have a, you know, solid commodity exposure, essentially, you know, via futures or something else, uh, or spot commodities, which is sort of hard to hide. So futures is probably the best instrument to to hedge against an inflation shock. And, you know, there have been studies that have been done of you know of performance of various asset classes through through inflationary uh, episodes and you know and commodities have always come out on top regardless of you know uh, the time frame during which the inflation happened whether it was the 70s or or more recently so that's one thing and outside of uh, commodities the other way you can hedge against inflation is uh, is you, you know, using commodity stocks. So basically, you know, your energy stocks or something like an Exxon Mobil or Chevron or uh, say Kinder Morgan, if you're say, natural gas or something like that. So uh, so you, you can use that though, their utility, because it's sort of like a derivative on a commodity sort of, not exactly derivative, but you know, they derive their revenues from the price of the commodity itself. So. Uh, that has not proven to be a very good inflation hit, but it's still, you know, sort of better than, say, Bitcoin, which has no history, or gold, which, which, which honestly would not perform as well sort of in an expected, in unexpected inflationary shock. But I would expect gold to perform well, you know, in a, in a sort of a long trend, if you expect there to be higher than trend inflation going forward. So, for example, uh, in the US, if you expect the inflation up until now to be, say, about 2% in the long run, but now you expect, you know, say, you know, because of all this monetary policy, all this extra money out there, this trend inflation is honestly going to go up to say like three or four percent. In that case, over the longer horiz- longer horizon, I would expect gold to be a better hedge because honestly, because the deco- dollar would appreciate and gold would appreciate against that dollar and that would be from the inflation.
1: It's so hard. I, I mean, really... there are some
2: parts of what you sorry,
1: sorry.
3: Oh, I, I was just going to say, Sachem, uh thanks for sharing that. That's a really uh, uh, interesting perspective. I, I've actually heard that from uh, Nassim Tlaib, uh, who uh, used to be a very big proponent for Bitcoin. Uh, but, you know, one of his uh, argument was that, you know, Bitcoin and has not uh, really demonstrated the properties uh, to be uh, an inflation-hedging asset, uh, more so that it demonstrated it has the narrative to become um, uh, inflation-hedging asset. Um, hmm. I think that's very interesting that the point that you brought up uh, about commodities being uh, a hedge against the this type of environment, this type of, of uh, uh, inflation environment we're in. Um, do you think you know, section? Do you think in this case you would you could classify? You know bitcoin or gold as a commodity because they are in a sense a commodity as well like like copper or coffee right so would they go into this classification and you know become like a, a source of hedge as well uh
2: so gold for sure is a commodity uh, it's traded on commodities exchanges it's it's actually used in some industrial uses so that is uh, bitcoin even though it can sort of legally be treated as a commodity but i don't know if it's if it would fall into the commodity asset class because there is no fundamental demand for it right for for gold or copper or you know steel whatever there's a fundamental demand right the fundamental drivers of demand so they they act as such but bitcoin it it i don't know if it would because you know it's uh, unless you know there is some some fundamental uh, driver of, of its demands where it's used in, in some place as, as say, for a sort of value or I don't know. I don't know what kind of industrial use would, would, would Bitcoin have unless there is a, a fundamental, fundamental basis for it. I don't think so. Um, and uh, gold is a commodity, but, you know, it behaves differently because, you know, it's, uh, there's multiple things uh, and not just industrial use that affects it, it's, its price. So you know, for example, a lot of people just hold on to gold in in case of a crash to just to sell it for cash. So you know, if 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 uh, people are going to use Bitcoin for that, then Bitcoin would start behaving exactly like gold. Then uh, then it won't really be a commodity as such for a, a inflation event, which is you know like an unexpected inflation event. But uh, as I talked about the sort of the long term inflation, you know, that, that can happen, which leads to devaluation of the currency, right? Uh, in that sense, yes, Bitcoin could make sense for inflation, and then you have like a long-term inflation expectation, which is higher than the current expected uh, long-term inflation. So, yeah,
1: in that sense. One thing I wanted to bring up, and it's just, I sort of want everybody's opinion mm-hmm. on this, is just, Inflation doesn't just happen in a vacuum. And when you're trying to hedge, I mean, all sorts of things are going on that's contributing to it. Uh, and one thing that I just want to talk about is how Bitcoin and gold both have an inverse relationship with the VIX, uh, where uh, gold is like positively correlated with the VIX and Bitcoin, generally speaking, has been negatively correlated with the VIX. Uh, so it's just very interesting to see that like, uh, I mean, as we all know, last year before um, inflation really, really started to come ahead during the beginning of the pandemic. But when the fear index was at like all time highs, we saw gold breaking through peaks uh, and sort of now we see things, this, this story changing a little bit, but we see inflation really heating up. Uh, does anybody have any thoughts on on this sort of a thing, on this sort of a um, phenomenon that's happening?
2: So how I saw so the relationship that you described for... The ...assets could be a good and... hedge. As well.
0: well, I think for the inflationary yeah. environment right now, we are definitely going through inflation. There's no...
1: ...stocks too, but some people consider real estate to be an example of an inflation hedge. And while I would really agree, broadly speaking...
0: hedge.
1: Hey, and I, I, agree, bro- I agree 100%, but... That- say uh, tomorrow, for the sake of argument, new inflation figures come out that are extremely high. The central bank uh, starts to react, tapers, raises rates. It could hurt real estate valuations in the short run. So it is interesting.
0: What I think is that um, there's two things that will outcompete any market at any given time is growth, which is hyper growth, as in things that actually generates new value to the world and second is cash flow Um, and then you want to have a diversified uncorrelated portfolio to hedge against the risks that you cannot foresee but with those those two main assets you should be able to have a strong portfolio to hedge against most of the things real estate is still very good because it's a very strong cash flow generating asset regardless of time regardless of any moment um we all need shelter right like even if we move to the metaverse we as humans still need to live in a house somewhere and that's never gonna go away and um, real estate as an asset you can take smart leverage in order to build cash flow and um the the underlying tangible assets will always have value because people will always need to live in there. Um, and then the other things that I think are great inflation hedges are hyper growth company, because that's the only thing that can outrun this massive um, inflation. It needs to be a cash generative uh, company. Um, so, for example, anything that grows more than 50% a year, and typically, you would only see these companies in um, tech companies or uh, st- startups, and that's also like the reason why every time after a recession, you will see that a lot of new good uh, startups come about. So, uh, Bridgewater started after a uh, recession. Uh, companies like Wish, Uber, Facebook—they all came after a recession, and. It essentially is the only companies that would survive these type of environment as well. Uh, And then finally, like things like crypto has a huge space because it's an uncorrelated asset. And for example, things like Solana has now become um, the sixth largest cryptocurrency by market cap. But it is only one and a half year old right now. So it has massive growth potential. And it can really take over the rest of the market. Um, and for 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 things like that, like they have immense and massive adoption. You can go from zero to like a like a million to ten million adoption in just one year, and you can only have that because of the pandemic as well. And you need to be able to take advantage of that, right? And crypto is just very hard to kill as well like people say that there's regulations and the sec coming after it but i kind of see crypto as um the new internet like even now sec or the government they can't really control facebook it's more like they try to nitpick and fight some of the symptoms of the major disease that that facebook can can show but regardless they cannot really shut down facebook just last week, we had Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp, everything that Facebook owns shut down and the world went into panic mode. That's how much like we relied on Facebook as a network in, in the world. So they can't really do anything. Um, and it's also insanely difficult to legislate as well. Um, not only that, crypto is now completely headless. There's no one to really target um, and take down is entirely peer-to-peer so that's something that's very scary and exhilarating and on like a more future um, side of things, I think like cryptocurrency is when is one of the things that would help us transition into the metaverse so the pandemic really pushed people onto the digital world like every single one of you all of us is now a bunch of numbers and code on the internet world, right? Like your social media account, your LinkedIn, your Instagram, your Facebook, whatever you put out there is really a version of yourself. Um, but then one day we will come into a full digital world where we get to own assets, we get to live as if it's like a video game, but it's things that we really own. So it's like expanding on the concept of what Axie Infinity and Decentraland is working on, where these digital assets, um, that looks that are just nfts actually have real life value as well and eventually we're going to be able to live in that world like teleport in that world and the transaction system has to be crypto it cannot be fiat because it's the best digital currency right now
3: For sure. Uh, yeah, that's um, the Metaverse uh, concept. It's uh, no stranger, especially to uh, a lot of gamers or the gaming community out there. Um, it's something that uh, people have, uh, from multiple generations have experimented with uh, many times. But only now, I think, um, we sort of have the first generation tools to actually uh, be able to participate and really build out a Metaverse uh, like people... In previous generations have imagined, uh, so that is something really interesting to see. Um, although you know, I, I, I speculate on uh, the human part of it, uh, of, of, of us, um, would probably uh, somehow struggle to integrate that with our lives, unless it's something you know, uh, it, i it, what I'm trying to say, it's that mm, I, I hold the view that. It probably cannot be a, a substitution for our life, but an uh, addition, a part of it, like how we use our social media accounts today. Um, it's a part of a life, but it's not all of us life um, because it's not, I um, should I say, not entirely natural that we live mm-hmm. in a, a virtual world uh, just because how humans behave and evolve. But, you know, that's off topic for now.
0: Thank you. so in terms of like the recent current events that have been going on like how do you guys feel about it like how does that impact your your world view as well as your personal life
3: i mean speaking in terms of uh the recent events i think um a lot of Uh, everyday people probably uh, aggregate a lot of information from traditional and mainstream medias. Uh, So even if they're in, uh, you know, this investing realm, they probably gather most of the information from uh, trading groups, forums, maybe Facebook group, or media outlets like CNBC or Bloomberg News Terminals. Uh, So I think uh, a, a big narrative and this is tied in with what we talked about earlier. It's how inflation has really, uh, it's really affecting everyone's lives at a fundamental level now. That that's unprecedented. That, that people actually notice there's inflation and become aware of that. Uh, that is not something that um, people pay attention to uh, before. Uh, you know, inflation it's always hidden. Uh, it is something that's in the back of my mind, but never in the front of our minds. But I think with the pandemic and the uh, QE that has been happening in the past year, uh, this attention has shifted from the back of the people's mind to the front of their mind. People actually pay attention to it. They started to understand inflation and why it's detrimental for their personal finances. And you see articles from time to time about you know uh, this asset hitting an all-time high, I think Specifically for Toronto, uh, you see articles uh, posted by blogs that say, you know, the Toronto housing market just hit another all-time high this month. And uh, that was actually an article that I saw earlier. And people actually uh, become concerned about that. And, you know, I think this awareness shift is really important. This meta shift in awareness where uh, people used to not think about this issue as much, but now are forced to think about it because it's, it's in their face now. So I, I think this is going to cause uh, more of a long-term shift in thinking, uh, whether to push people to evaluate the central bank and monetary policies, uh, or to push people onto uh, learning how to invest, how to hedge against inflation, uh, and how to protect their assets. And part of that is using cryptocurrency uh, as a method of investment. So uh, as, a, as a meta shift, this is something that I can see happening because of the narrative of, of inflation that's just kind of in our face in the past year or so.
0: That's very true. I think like when you say um, like experience of others, I think it's a lot of how we live day to day too. Like my lifestyle has changed significantly. I completely live through my laptop and my phone now Um, a little bit less so thanks to you know the easing of COVID-19 but think about all of the children who are growing up in this environment this is their new new reality this is their normal it's not their new normal it's it's really their normal because they grew up with something that is completely digital and I don't know what's how that is going to affect the kids right like kids are usually very um very unfocused so you really need a classroom for the teachers to push that work onto them but now with a lot of content online being shown via algorithms that um, fit most to you how would they learn something that's diverse when most of the things that is feeding to them is something that they continue to watch like let's say if they're interested in science then yes the algorithm will help them learn even more about science but let's say maybe they they got lost in some conspiracy theory world or something that is not very healthy Um, it's just like a feedback loop for that and I think like those generations are what something that we need to think about as well in terms of investing because 20 years down the line these new technologies are what will be serving them as well. Similar to how 10 years ago, Facebook, actually, no, 15, 17 years ago, it was Facebook that was created, and not everyone uses Facebook and Instagram. And most of the people that use this are like Gen Z uh, people. And later on, all the things that is being created right now, will be used by like kids that are only 10-year-old right now.
2: Yeah, yeah. so I mean, that's a fairly good coverage of, you know, you know what's going on. Just to tie in this discussion to, you know, what's happening today and probably even to the crypto space is, uh, I would like to uh, talk about what's today called the curator economy. So many of us would have heard of the creator economy, right? So where uh, mm-hmm. you know in a creator economy you have like a bunch of creators who create content and you know they're typically backed up by a company who who funds them to like create a bunch of content and you know they, they make grants from that but because there's so much content out there around the creator economy is so big right now there is a need for something called a curator right a curator economy which is basically people who you know you know go through all this content and basically curate it so that you know when it comes to you, ultimately, you know it's it's a uh, it's uh, it's a high quality stuff. So, for example, the things you talk about, you know, people getting lost in their conspiracy theories or getting miseducated on the internet because you know that's where they primarily get the information from. Uh, you know, what 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 helps prevent that is to improve the quality of their feeds, and for that, you know, you need curators. Now, today, the feeds are typically fed by algorithms alone. Right, so whether it's YouTube or TikTok or whatever, you know, it's an algorithm just feeding you one thing after the other. But you know, if you, if you can have sort of an sort of an aggregator in the middle, right, a person who can actually curate stuff and then you know, uh, pass it on, sort of you know, digest the stuff, make it a little more digestible, compress it, uh, provide you links to you know these sort of primary sources of information and, and so on, uh, that would be great, and, uh, I don't know how sort of crypto would play into this, but because this is sort of an increasing space that's that's fairly nascent right now, but but it's growing. Um, you know, I, I I would think you know there would be a role for crypto play in, in such an economy, right? In a greater economy where where you know uh, where curators would have you know certain level of credibility and you know uh, to uh, certify that credibility or to Make sure that the content they're providing is good, you know is there a sort of a cryptographic proto- protocol or you know some kind of a crypto project that you can use to you know give them some kind of a reputation point or you know say stake in them or you know invest in them in certain ways so that you know it also helps you know this economy grow as well as improves the kind of information that we have online. so you know that's sort of one thing that can happen.
3: That's very true. That's very, true. that's interesting.
1: Um, I just yeah. want to say that it's funny. I, it would be ironic if there was a cryptographic solution to that sort of thing. And I could sort of see it taking the form of like, uh, um, like credentials that people have being tokenized uh, to sort of prove that they're authentic or whatever. Uh, it's ironic that there's a cryptographic solution to that issue of misinformation and uh, creators um, not necessarily having the best quality content. Misinformation and poor content is such a problem. In the it is a problem in the, in the crypto community big time. There's a lot of people who uh, try to push misinformation in order to like manipulate the market in some way, or they just don't really know what they're talking about.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, and I think what ties into this is um, just how much, you know, uh, how much power the big tech has over 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 us, over everybody. Um, and this is, you know, this whole debate of uh, does the big tech have too much power? Should the government uh, take a role in, in modulating or in, in monitoring this process of, you know, becoming this more of a curator role in, in, in intermediate intermediary between the uh, big techs, between the uh, companies that are profit-driven uh, over the consumers, the users, right? Um, I personally volunteered uh, teaching um, middle schoolers about personal finance. And what's really interesting is that over the uh, past year or so, I've seen a lot of uh, changes in uh you know, how, how kids nowadays think, you know, uh, these are really just some Gen Zs, right? Um, now, they're kids, so they're middle schoolers. They don't really have a solid idea of what they want to do with their career yet. But uh, when I ask them this question, you know, uh, what career path do you want or what do you see yourself doing uh, in, in the future as a career, um, I, I get certain popular choices. Now, uh, these things are like, uh, for example, uh, I want to be a day trader on Robinhood. Uh, I want to be a uh, Uber uh, Uber driver or Uber Eats delivery person. Um, I want to be a Instagram or TikTok influencer. Uh, I want to be, uh, you know, OnlyFans creator. Uh, I want to be in dropshipping, in Facebook ads, in OnlyFans
0: creator. Sorry. An OnlyFans creator.
3: Only OnlyFans creator. Yeah. A middle uh, schooler said that.
0: Uh, wow.
3: Yep, they said that. Um, and, you know, they want to be like a Twitch streamer, right? So these are, uh, you know, these are the, uh, if you look at, you know, what's common, the common theme among these uh, uh, careers that they idealize for themselves is they are all careers uh, created because of the big tech, because of the uh, the large tech companies that are uh, really changing and shaping how people think and live and do. so um, it is it is one thing to um, live within the ecosystem and it's another thing to become dependent on this ecosystem that you cannot survive or live without it. And I think that is uh, perhaps one of the biggest arguments for uh, what should we do with big Tech and how we could uh, you know play a positive role in not stifling, uh, stifling uh, innovation, but also uh, creating more of a healthy environment uh, for kids and people nowadays growing up.
1: And decentralization is such an important factor in that. You don't necessarily want the state to come in and regulate it because it's sort of just like a pick your poison type of situation. It would probably be worse.
0: Um, you brought up a really interesting points because this is how kids think these days they don't think that they want to be lawyers and doctors anymore they don't want to okay maybe some of them do want to be engineers because they want to build things but there's this whole new job category of being a creator and if you tell this to someone who is a boomer they'd be like what is a creator like They have already had a lot of struggle trying to understand things that are not tangible, like intangible value, like why are these digital assets that you cannot hold in your hands have like monetary value? And why are you doing a job that doesn't really bring any tangible benefits? Like you cannot eat, you cannot consume, you cannot touch any of these products. But the thing is, we are going towards a more intangible economy. And that kind of ties back into the article that Saksham shared a while back on the firm that focuses on measuring intangible values as now the world is moving towards that and that builds into like the creator economy everything like a picture can be worth a lot more if they can bring value to the business in terms of marketing and generating sales like you can essentially sit at home with a computer knows how to work with the internet and you can automate and make money in different ways. So I think that we have to keep that in mind when when thinking about the future and in and, and investing as well. So I think that uh, we have a lot of very interesting thoughts uh, that was we'll shared today and um, before we wrap things off, like, is there anything else you guys want to share uh, in the last minute or two?
1: No, I'm okay. Thanks for having me on the discussion.
0: Okay, that's awesome. Well, thank you so much, guys. This was amazing. Uh, I think this today we get to learn about, like, some of the like, current events impacts inflation, cryptocurrency, and how, like, future generations might think of it. Um, and that is the new finance podcast by Dark Byte Research. Have a great day, everyone. Thank you for coming in.
3: Thank you.